What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Clee Talk, presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. I am your host, Bob. I'm hanging out, talking my favorite hometown, Cleveland sports, with my older brother, Chris, as always. Chris, what's going on, man? Not much, Bob. I have a dream that we are going to do a great podcast today. Had to, had to do a little tip of the cat to Dr. Martin Luther King on <laughs> Martin Luther King Day. Yeah, so. yeah we're both enjoying uh, our day off, hopefully our listeners are enjoying their Monday off as well and, and possibly getting out there and serving their community in some way or another. But uh, Chris, let's dive right into Is Clee Talk our, a public service, Bob? It, I, Yeah, it's a service to the people of Cleveland for sure. You know, they they come here for some, they, they come for some, uh, they, they come here for a reason and we, we give it to them they're they're seeking something and we are we're satisfying that so yeah we're we're a public service for sure um we're certainly not for check profit that box off for t- <laughs> that's true that's true well uh we're gonna cover we're gonna bounce around uh between the the three hometown sports quite a bit on this podcast but chris let's first start off with the most tangible piece of news and that is uh former cleveland indian outfielder jay bruce signing a three-year, $39 million deal with the New York Mets. Uh, This is the second big free agent that the Indians let walk, as well as some bullpen guys, Uh, the first being Carlos Santana going to the Phillies for for, uh, about $20 million annually over three years. Uh, Chris, how surprised are you that Jay Bruce uh, signed for for that low, considering he's a a power hitter, and how surprised are you that uh, the Indians weren't in on negotiations? Yeah, I'm I'm not surprised he left because I didn't expect him to be back, but I didn't expect him to be back because I didn't think the Indians could afford him. 3 years, 39 million. I, I, I Bob, that's the kind of deal the Indians look for in guys like Jay Bruce. I I I'm quite frankly stunned that 13 million per year was the number that pried him away from the Cleveland Indians, and, and I'm a little miffed that the Cleveland Indians didn't do more to keep him because they lost a $12 million salary slot with Carlos Santana. Now, now I understand Santana signed for $20 million per, but his salary last year was at that $12 million range, so they lost that slot, and I understand that they picked up Michael Brantley's option, which was about $3 million and change higher than what he was getting paid last year, but Bob, I mean, you let Santana walk, you got that $12 million slot sitting there. I know they've got arbitration guys to deal with. It, it gets back to why why did they pick up Michael Brantley's option for $12 million per when they could have used that money combined with some of the Santana money to top the Mets for Jay Bruce. I, I, I'm not trying to hate on Michael Brantley here, but, but when they picked up that option for $12 million, I was a little queasy about it. I, I would have rather seen that money used to keep either Santana or Bruce. And, and it missed me that Bruce signed for such a low number, a number that the Indians could have matched had they not kept Michael Brantley's option. And given the ice coldness of this market, I don't think Michael Brantley would have found a new home yet. And, and I certainly think the Indians might have been able to take him, bring him back on a more you know, on a more team-friendly contract because Brantley has not produced in the last couple seasons, and I know it's injuries, and I know that that would be a very cold stance to take, but I don't think there's any question that Jay Bruce would bring more from a power bat standpoint than, than Michael Brantley does. And, and when you stick him in that, when when he got into that lineup, Edwin Encarnacion also uh, had a little bit of bump in production as well with a big power left-hander to protect him. So, yes, I'm very miffed that he is not on this roster and that $13 million was the number that pried him away. Yeah, um, I, I agree with you. I'm, I'm surprised at the low the low salary that that Jay Bruce commanded considering at the same age Carlos Santana was able to get a three-year 20 million dollar deal uh Jay Bruce is not as versatile as as Santana but he's a left-handed power hitting corner outfield and one of the most reliable power hitters in the game since his rookie season in 2008 his season his season low in home runs was 18 home runs uh every other year other than that season in 2014, he's eclipsed 20 home runs and is a, a safe bet to, to get close to 30. Now he swings for the fences. He's a low average, uh, high strikeout guy. But, uh, you know, the home runs, it, it, if if Jay Bruce were on the open market 10 years ago uh, at, at this stage in his career, he, he would probably have been 
signing a, a mega contract at this point. It's really interesting how uh, the the open market has devalued power hitting over the last couple of years, and it's not as much a, a sought after commodity as is a more overall well rounded player like Carlos Santana or starting pitching, uh, which will always be in demand. Um, so yeah, I, you know, this is just $500,000 more than what Jay Bruce made last season. Now the Indians weren't really on the hook for most of that. The Mets paid the bulk of that $12.5 million, but this is, you know, Jay Bruce wasn't commanding a, a huge jump in salary and, and you, you hit the nail on the head. There's a Carlos Santana sized hole, a $12 million sized hole in the Indians payroll, uh, combined with some of the other guys that they let go, uh, in, in their bullpen, um, if the Indians wanted to just merely match the payroll that they had last season, I think they have the resources to to match that deal. And I think you know they don't even have to over go over what the Mets paid for the Indians. The Indians are one of the premier teams heading into 2018 uh, with another chance at, at making a deep postseason run. I don't think the Mets are there. I think Jay Bruce would have happily stood in Cleveland where he could be a designated hitter make the same amount of money as the Mets are paying him and make a potential World Series run. So uh, I think the Indians, again, missed out. Uh, I, I think this confirms what we all suspecting, that the Indians are just not going to, to spend any premium dollar on the open market this season, uh, which is disappointing, but uh, kind of to be expected considering the splurges that uh, the Indians have made uh, over the past couple seasons. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not mad that they let Santana go at 20 million per. I think that's a bit too much for him. Brian Shaw and um, Joe Smith, two guys that I think a lot of people figured would be gone, especially because you look to the future, you're gonna want to save up some bullpen dollars to probably keep either Cody Allen or Andrew Miller. And I don't think you can afford to pay those guys premium bullpen money when your two big guns are up for free agency next year. So so I get those moves. This move, I don't get. I don't get picking up a $12 million option on a guy who has not shown that he can consistently stay healthy and then passing on a guy who is better at his position than Michael Brantley. I, I All due respect to Michael Brantley, I know he's a fan favorite. He's one of my favorite players too. But the reality is what the reality is. Jay Bruce gives you a better chance to win a World Series right now than Michael Brantley. I, I just... I don't understand where the thought process was because if you don't pick up that option with Santana leaving, that is about... I mean, you're, you're looking at a good $20 million plus in cap space... Yes, I know you have some arbitration things to work out, but those raises are not super significant. They still would have had more than enough to at least match this offer. And Bob, heck, maybe they just put in an extra million per year. That's still only fourteen million per for Jay Bruce. I mean, they could have they could have beat the offer, still gotten a value deal, and probably still saved money compared to last season. Uh, I, 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 this is the one I'm most irked at, and, and I think the Indians dropped the ball big time um, um, by letting Jay Bruce go to the Mets for, for such a, a reasonable price. Yeah, I agree. I think they uh, dropped the ball on that as well. That's not to say Jay Bruce was the last premier hitter on, on the market. There are still some uh, reasonably uh, equal replacements still available, looking at Mike Mistakis, uh and some other hitters out there. So uh, the Indians might be in play for another guy, but Jay Bruce seems to be uh, an easy catch for them considering the familiarity uh, and the success Bruce had in an Indians uniform. Uh, quite surprising that they let both Santana and Bruce walk in free agency. Well, uh, Indians are, are not making moves, but their greatest threats in the American League certainly are we covered the, the Giancarlo Stanton trade to the Yankees uh, that kicked off the MLB offseason, and now the Astros have added Pittsburgh Pirate ace Garrett Cole um, for not, uh, you know, not the, uh, the, the treasure trove of prospects that you usually expect to give up when dealing an ace. Uh, Chris, just two years ago, Garrett Cole uh, won 19 games and had an ERA of 260. Now, he is coming off a, a relatively bad 2017, but the Astros bought low uh, on a potential Cy Young candidate in, in Garrett Cole. Uh, how how much 
of a, of a threat are the Astros now? Uh, are, are the Indians now the, the third team to beat behind Houston and, and New York? Well, they're the defending world champions who didn't lose anyone significant in free agency yet. So without making a move, they are still a very significant threat to the Cleveland Indians. And now their rotation, which was the strength of their team, or one of the strengths of their team. I mean, heck, you could argue their offense was the strength too. That's how good they were. Just got a heck of a lot better. Verlander, Cole, I mean, my goodness, that's a top one-two punch right there. And I haven't even mentioned Dallas Keuchel. So, I mean, the, the yes, this is a significant move. I mean, if Garrett Cole, if he pitches that way last year and he's your third, fourth best pitcher, heck, he could pitch the way he did two years ago and he'd still be your third, fourth best pitcher. I mean, now the Astros have a rotation that's on par with the Cleveland Indians and that, that they, they have directly attacked one advantage the Indians had over every single team in the American League. I don't think the Indians would have the same pitching advantage against the Astros, at least on paper, um, if they were to meet in, the, in, in October and these guys do what they normally do. So, yes, this is a significant move. Um, it, it is disheartening to see both New York and Houston, the two American League finalists, get stronger, add significant needle-moving guys in Garrett Cole and uh, Giancarlo Stanton. Uh, bolstering a already tough offense and an already tough rotation. And then you look at the Indians letting Jay Bruce go for a deal that could have been had um, certainly is concerning. But the one cautionary tale I will say is this. You know, two years ago, the Cleveland Indians got to the World Series on a skeleton crew. Last year, the Indians were the best team on paper. They won the offseason. They won 102 games. They were supposed to get there, and they didn't. So you don't win the World Series in January. So just because these teams are making big moves does not mean they will pay off big, but it certainly is not a good sign when the two teams that were already ahead of you got a little bit better. And uh, you, the Indians have gotten weaker. They've lost four significant contributors to their team. Right, without replacing any of them at, at this point. So, yeah, it, it is concerning. Uh, the good news is that the American League Central, uh, minus the Indians, the, the, those other teams aren't wheeling and dealing or, or making moves. Uh, so so the Indians are still in play to, to make the postseason, and they will still have loads of talent uh, to, to compete with Houston and with New York. But I, I think that... Uh, New York and Houston with, with these moves uh, and their success from last season, I think that puts Cleveland squarely as the third uh, best team uh, in the American League. So uh, concerning, and I don't think that the Indians are going to make any other uh, earth-shattering moves uh, that, that will change uh that way of thinking heading into spring training i I think the indians are just going to rely on their internal growth and and hope that some of their players bounce back looking at michael brantley uh and jason kipnis and even you know tyler naquin and and bradley zimmer uh some young outfielders maybe able to 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 solidify uh the gap that that bruce and santana have created in in that lineup yeah, I will say I like Bradley Zimmer and Yandy Diaz long-term. I do think that the two of them have 20 home run potential, especially Zimmer. I think Zimmer could be a really big star in this league if he develops on the path that he's started on. Um, those are a lot of ifs. I mean, Jay Bruce was a sure thing, and it's not just letting him go. It's letting him go at a value contract and then watching your rivals get significant needle-moving players uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's a bit of a gunt punch, but again, you don't win the World Series in the offseason. You got to step up and do it in October. A lot can happen between now and then. There is the trade deadline. The Indians have been aggressive at the trade deadline the last couple years, so it's not... It, the, the sky is not falling, like you said. The Indians are in, in a very winnable division. I think that the expectation is they do win the Central. And if the saying is, once you get to the playoffs, anything can happen, as we've seen the last two years, once in favor of Cleveland, the other not so much, then, you know, as long as you are 
had the talent to win your division, which the Indians still do despite these losses, they're still in good shape. It's just concerning to see your, your these other teams go out and make big moves and, and, and you drop the ball on what I thought was a, a fairly straightforward and easy one. I, I think they could have had Jay Bruce. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the, the worst part of seeing the one team that, that eliminated you in the postseason and the American League pennant winner you know, both go out and, and, and get stronger because uh, they they're both they both haven't lost just about anybody uh they're both relatively young teams that look to improve internally as well now they add some studs uh in the off season while our team just kind of sits there idly so yeah very very concerning uh chris this is january uh we're out halfway through the month uh and we have been distracted with some some pretty beefy podcasts and we haven't been able to on air uh, discuss our new year's resolutions for all of our cleveland sports teams so uh, we will be doing that on this episode and so with the cleveland indians chris what is your new year's resolution for 2018 well we talked about it a little bit and 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 this one's a tough one for me because i love jason kittness i love michael brantley i want them to be part of this team and they are certainly fan favorites, but I think the Indians do have to be a little bit less loyal to them. I think that last year they tried to force them into the playoff roster, and you know, I, in hindsight, it's twenty twenty. There were a lot of there was a very tough to 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 cut that down from forty to twenty five, but i think they need to be a little less loyal to those guys you know picking up michael brantley's option for 12 million dollars i think cost them jay bruce uh, there are trade rumors about jason kipnis i don't i'm not saying they just trade them no that's not what i'm saying but i think if if the right offer comes around if you see a chance to to, to maybe swindle a team or, or 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 get get some guys that are undervalued you gotta you gotta you gotta do it because the iron is scorching hot right now. This window, it feels like after this year might close a little bit because the the Minnesota Twins are improving. I don't think they're there yet. I think they're maybe another year away from being a serious threat. And, and the Central's not going to stay dormant forever, Bob. I mean, Kansas City still has a solid squad. These teams are going to get their stuff together in the next couple years, and, and the Indians are going to have some big questions this next offseason after the 2018 season. So this is the time to push all the chips in, do whatever is necessary to try and get a world championship because the, these windows for a market like Cleveland do not open this wide very often, and I, I'm afraid that this could be the last significant year they have to, to be considered one of the three or four World Series contenders. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, the you know, we've seen windows close a, a lot quicker uh, than, than what the Indians have been able to do in, in just two seasons. So, yeah, that, that's always a concern that uh, this could be it. Um, and that's why last season kind of hurt so badly. I'm all for shaking it up as well. I don't think Brantley and Kipnis anymore are cornerstones to this team. I thought, you know, heading into 2017, I thought Kipnis was. Uh, Brantley had already missed 20 uh, the, the previous year, but um, now we, we saw that th this team is able to succeed without both of them in, in the lineup. So, yeah, uh, I, I think that they can be a little less loyal to those guys. Uh, I don't think they need to shake anything up or do anything drastic it is concerning that moves are being made teams their rivals are, are getting better adding veterans i think the indians are fine standing pat and that's my resolution is just not to overreact trade something uh trade your, your best prospects for a, a middling veteran or overspend for a guy uh on the open market just to just to keep pace uh, with these with the Astros, Yankees, and Red Sox. I'm looking at uh, the Indians' prospects. we got Francisco Mejia. He should be uh, ready to debut, not debut, uh, but be a full-time participant uh, on the Major League roster in 2018. Bobby Bradley, uh, their first baseman, is the Indians' third-ranked prospect, a first baseman, a power hitter. Uh, he uh, played double-A. He could be ready to, to come up mid-season. Uh, 
that's some pop right there. That's the power. That's Santana and Jay Bruce that you're missing. Those are young guys that you can continue to develop. Uh, the Indians have an ace rotation. They still have that. They'll find a way to retool their bullpen, make up for Brian Shaw and Joe Smith leaving. Uh, and I think they're going to look inwardly to those young prospects I just mentioned, uh, the guys Naquin and Zimmer who look like uh, in their rookie seasons like rookie of the year candidates. I think that one of them will stick this season. And I think Brantley and Kipnis, one of them is will be reliable this season and have a, a decent to good year reminiscent of their all-star status in the past. I think they have enough. They have enough depth to stand pat and and make another run. I don't think the window is closing. I don't think they have to get desperate or shake things up. I think they have a lot of interesting options under contract now, uh, and they're set for success. Yeah, I agree 100%. You, you don't need to overpay for a mid-tier veteran. That That's how you slam your own window shut, Bob, is, is if you go chasing and trying to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak, panicking over New York and, and uh, Houston. No, they, they definitely don't need to do that. And, and I, I like all those prospects you just mentioned, Bob. I, I think the Indians' farm system is pretty loaded. Uh, the only thing I'd like to see, though, I mean, I'd like to see a good bullpen arm come up. Uh, from the farm system. I think that there will be some opportunities for some of the bullpen arms, the guys they've got down there, to come up and try to make an impact here just because they've lost two significant contributors uh, to the pen. Um, I would love to see them try to give Magia and uh, Bobby Bradley a shot to to win a, win a roster spot out of spring training because, you know, the catchers, Jan Gomes and uh, Roberto Perez are excellent defensively, but they leave a lot to be desired offensively. So if Magia can can at least not be a liability behind the plate, if he can be a solid defensive catcher, uh, he's got the bat that that could stick at the major league level. And Bobby Bradley has has thrived at every single level he's been at. So um, certainly a lot of uh, optimism there. Uh, we we already mentioned Yandy Diaz. We we talked about Bradley Zimmer, and and you mentioned Tyler Naquin, who two years ago was third in Rookie of the Year voting. Kind of took a step back last year, but certainly has that potential. So yeah, yeah, there's a lot to be excited uh, about their farm system, and and I think we're both in agreement here. Even if the right offer comes around, you can't be afraid to pull the trigger on it. But do not just trade Jason Kipnis just to make a move. Because that is the wrong way to do business. And I'm confident that Chris Antonetti is smart enough to realize that just with the moves he's made. Uh, it's hard to question what he's done the last three or four years. Uh, he's really you know, played his hand brilliantly, and he's, he's been a big reason why we're in the position we are right now. I still believe in, in the team and, and management to, to, to make another postseason run uh, as concerning as this offseason has been and, and hard to uh, – to not get a little down on it. I, I still believe in them. Well, the you know, we complained a little bit about the hot stove, you know, being ice cold. Uh, it has started to to percolate a little bit with with Garrett Cole and Jay Bruce uh news ha- happening so so maybe the Indians will be involved in something uh at a later date and we'll certainly talk about that at that time. But Chris, let's move on to uh, another concerning team in Cleveland uh, and a surprising one, the Cleveland Cavaliers in the midst of an 0-3 skid uh, in the month of January. Uh, Two huge blowouts sandwiched uh, and then uh, also uh, a blown 22-point lead against the Indiana Pacers. And now the Warriors are coming to town and they're actually facing a lot of the West Coast elite in the coming days. Uh, Chris, how concerned are you for this January skid? Concerned, but not panicking at all. Um, I, I think the Cavs can obviously play better. The Indiana game was was terrible. You shouldn't be blowing a 22-point lead to that team. But it, it's concerning, but it's January. I, I don't want to just brush it off. They definitely need to correct themselves. I, I'm actually going to make a bold prediction and say that they're going to turn things around and actually have a really good showing against the Western Conference's elite. I think the walls are kind of closing in on this team, and they're starting to feel the pressure to kind of – prove people wrong and whenever that happens that 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 kind of stuff can maybe wake you up of your jan out of your january slump and and i do think that they're going to have a solid week against what what looks like a brutal schedule because people are kind of counting them out so that that's my little bull prediction is that this week the slump ends and they start turning things around uh but it's concerning but at the end of the day it's hard to get get me all riled up in january over the nba 
Yeah, this is really nothing new. The the Cavs struggling uh, in in the early winter months. Uh, they had a, a terrible January last season, and and they're having a bad one this season with you know back to back blowout losses against the Timberwolves and Raptors, where they just looked they they, they looked terrible. Uh, and then blow, blowing that lead, uh, I, I th- they came out so strong against the Pacers. I thought that they were just tired of of the negativity due to losing to the Timberwolves and Raptors uh, by like a combined 50 points or something like that, uh, that they were just going to make their statement then, but then they, they blew it in the, in the second half. Uh, Isaiah Thomas uh, started off strong in his return from injury, but uh, he, he certainly has struggled uh, during the skid. Kevin Love has almost been non-existent during the skid. Uh, you know, that, that I, those guys are reliable though. They're stars. So I'm not too concerned. Uh, th- they'll be fine. I'm not sure if, at home against the Warriors is the way to jumpstart uh, your comeback. Uh, I, I probably expect them to lose that game and they'll go on a four game losing streak, uh, but th- they'll write the ship soon. Th- they'll, they'll be okay. I- I'm not too worried about it, but um, the nature of which these losses happen is a little bit different than years past. You know, I haven't not too accustomed to seeing a LeBron James Cavaliers team get blown out back-to-back nights and then blow a huge lead uh, on the third night uh, I'm accustomed to them taking time off weeks uh, upon weeks uh, of just playing at minimal effort and, and losing uh, uh, you know going on a losing streak but I'm not really accustomed to seeing them you know get get blown out in two straight games and then blown out in, in the second half against the Pacers yeah no certainly not it, the, the, the way they're losing games is concerning but at the end of the day it's just hard for me to take it that seriously when it's happening in January and nothing that happens in this month is really going to translate to the postseason. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm not worried as well. Uh, but Chris, let's do a Cavaliers resolution. What's your resolution for 2018 for the Cleveland Cavaliers? I think the Cavs absolutely positively need to stop going all in. Um, I, I I I am in the I'm in the camp that they need to hold on to the Brooklyn pick. Unless they can pawn it off for Kawhi Leonard or Anthony Davis. Or if Minnesota's crazy, Carl Anthony Towns. Those are like the only three guys I would want for that pick. And let's just be real, it's probably not happening. Maybe the Ant-Man, maybe. He's the most realistic of the three. But Kawhi isn't getting traded, and neither is Carl Anthony Towns. I don't want to trade this pick for DeMarcus Cousins. Don't don't tell me about DeMarcus Cousins. I know he's really good. I just don't think he'd be a good fit. Don't trade the pick for DeAndre Jordan. That would be, a, to me, a terrible move. He's not worth that pick. Um, I, I don't want them to keep going all in and, and scorching the earth because... A, I think they're good enough to win the championship as presently constructed with with maybe a minor move that doesn't involve the pick. But uh, B, more importantly, they need that pick. They are, they are an old team, and I feel like that pick can help inject some young life into it that could help them sustain this window beyond just four years. That Maybe they get a top five talent that can compete with the Warriors' big four. They could get their fourth superstar on a cheap contract. And I think that this pick has long-term value to keep this window open. Do not just give it away for a guy who isn't going to move the needle against Golden State. Because, because I, I don't think – I think there are only a couple guys who can move the needle against Golden State. They're the three I listed – and I don't think any of them are getting traded. So don't just don't trade the pick. Stop going all in. You're good enough to win the title. Yeah, my resolution is the exact opposite of that. I'm looking at this Nets pick, and as records hold, uh, the Nets have the the eighth worst record in the NBA. Uh, so yes, this is a, a great crop of prospects. By by all means, the top five prospects seem to be legitimate. Uh, potential all-stars I, I think if this holds and, and the the draft rankings hold true to to their standings uh, the Cavs could you know the, the, this Nets the Nets are currently tied with the Bulls it, it, they could have the 10th pick and I don't think that you you draft a you're, you will be able to draft a guy at 10 that in 2018-2019 will be able to be a legitimate contributor and that makes a quote-unquote big four for the Cavs to help this current roster you need to move that pick and and you need to move it right now 
I, yes, I agree. Don't move it for DeAndre Jordan because you have Tristan Thompson. I don't see much of a difference other than DeAndre Jordan is probably a better defender and a better shot blocker. Um, he, he's a marginal upgrade over Tristan Thompson. Yeah, I'm not saying trade it for anybody, but you can at the trade deadline, a star will be available and the Cavs need to go all in to get that star. I don't know who it who it will be. My hope is that it's DeMarcus Cousins because I think DeMarcus Cousins is a facet, brings such tools to the table at the five position where he can stretch out. He's athletic enough that I don't think the Warriors have an answer to a guy like DeMarcus Cousins. You put him on this team with stars in LeBron, Isaiah Thomas, and Kevin Love, that's a legitimate big four that looks like nothing that I have seen before. And that would be uh, fantastic. So I, I think the Cavs need to move that pick. I don't know if DeMarcus Cousins will be available. That's my my dream scenario. But I, I think a star will be available. And the Cavs could, could use any star they could get at this point. And, and it's time to, uh, not time, but they need to continue. They need to double down and, and go all in. Because I, I, think, I think this Cavs team, as constructed already, is deeper and, and more talented than the previous three iterations of the Cleveland team that has gone to the NBA finals. Likewise, I think the Warriors and most other teams, yeah, I I see vulnerabilities in all of them. I think the Cavs can be the NBA champions at end of the season and you don't punt if you can taste the title and the Cavs are there. They can make a move and and be for sure, you know, the, the team to beat, and all the NBA, if they get the right guy, uh, I think they have to move that pick. So you think they could get DeMarcus Cousins without trading Kevin Love? Yep. That, I mean, I think that would tax their depth significantly, salary-wise. Uh, salary-wise, it would be pretty easy for them to get there. Uh be Tristan Thompson and Channing Fry. We'll get you there. And you okay. throw in the Brooklyn pick. You throw in uh, – I mean – Gosh, throw in those two, Amon Shumpert, Shetty Osman, and and the Brooklyn pick and some future draft picks, and I think you're there. That's Cle- that's more than enough salary. Clearly someone spent more time on the ESPN trade machine than I have. <laughs> I mean, the the Cavs have so many gaudy contracts that they can they can match just about anything with some combination of Thompson, Fry, and Shumpert. And and they're there to match like any any all stars salary. I'll agree in this facet. The Nets having the eighth slot right now is a little worrisome. I thought they'd be a little more awful than they are. Let's also not underestimate the Nets being awful over the next four months. They they certainly could go the other way in that equation. Though there are the the, the Tankapalooza is always a competitive race, and they do have some fierce competition from the likes of Atlanta and Orlando and all them. But point being. Uh, you're right. It could end up ten, but I, I also think they could get back up to six most odds. And 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 again, we we've seen teams hit in, in that in, in that lottery, and maybe it goes to the third. Uh, obviously, if you, if you're not in the top six, uh, you shouldn't be thinking about hitting in the lottery. I, I agree there. Um, but Bob, I, I still I disagree that they can't get a fourth superstar in that in that eight nine ten slot because you you see guys fall all the time. Uh, to to those reasonable positions. Kawhi Leonard was drafted 15th. Um, you know, I know Clay Thompson and Steph Curry were back in of the top 10. I think they were six and seven or seven and nine or something like that, which which wouldn't be good enough for 10th, but but still in the range of where Brooklyn might fall. You can still get a cornerstone guy with that pick, even if it's not a lottery, even if it's not a top yeah, three pick. So, but I, is I that know. guy going to be a cornerstone in his rookie season? Yeah, I mean, how many years of of these Cavs, assuming that LeBron opts back in and is in a Cavs uniform till retirement, how many years of, of peak LeBron do we have? I'd say less than three. And, and and can they get a guy at 10 in his rookie and sophomore season that, that can be that fourth star? I don't think you can. I, I think it would take some development at that point. I don't know. I mean, if you bring him off the bench, if you bring him along, I, I I don't know. I mean, we've seen guys pop their rookie year instantly in premium spots. Um, 
So I, I, I can't possibly answer that question, and I'll, I'll, I'll contend that it, I'll concede that it is a risk. But I also think it's a risk bringing a guy like Boogie Cousins in here who has had a history of being a locker room head case. So I, I, I don't – I understand Boogie Cousins is more developed and that he could bring more to the team right now. But I, I'm not just going to overlook the fact that, that you know he has been a kind of a disruptive guy in everywhere he's been, and I don't know if that's a good fit for the Cleveland Cavaliers um, off the court. I, I think uh... – one, LeBron in the locker room seems to placate everybody. Look at J.R. Smith. Uh, and two, Boogie Cousins on a focused team that is set to go to the NBA Finals. I think that would unleash a level of Boogie that, that we have not seen yet, which to me would be amazing. I, I think he would be all in on it. I, I think uh, him being a head case is more a result of him being on year in and year out just terrible teams I mean if they end up getting Boogie Cousins obviously I would embrace it I'm not I'm not saying that that would be something I wouldn't be excited about but at the same time um they they better be sure about two things one that you're right about your assessment of Boogie Cousins and two more importantly get a wink or something from LeBron that he's coming back because because I I don't think they can afford to trade that pick if they don't have a really good sense that they can keep LeBron well I think that um yes i you you would hope that uh that gets a confirmation from him that he's back but by bringing in that fourth star that enables the Cavs to compete with any other team in the off season that you know especially uh, consider the lakers that have cap space to add two stars well the Cavs can now match that because they brought in that star and they can re-sign all their guys and, and have a much more legitimate roster than uh these teams in the offseason that can that have cap space to bring in two stars so lebron plus you know paul george or boogie the Cavs would, would be able to do just that by making this deal other thing i want to point out is demarcus cousins will be an unrestricted free agent this offseason you would then have isaiah thomas demarcus cousins and lebron james entering free agency the same year there is a very good chance that that could blow up in your face oh for sure yeah but the, what other options do the Cavs have? Keep the pick. If you keep the pick, uh, you know you're you're jump starting your rebuild by a year or two. Uh, but it's it's over. Is my prediction. I mean, if LeBron leaves, it's over no matter what. I would rather have the pick if LeBron's leaving than not. I I, 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 just, I would. It's tough. Yes, I, I would if he leaves. I I would rather have it, but I don't want that to be the reason that he leaves. And I think if we keep it, that will be the reason. Like that, that will be what he says is the reason for him leaving. Right. But, but my, my point is, it's like, we're, we're kind of debating the chicken and the egg here. I mean, you're saying that if they, if they trade it, it's a sign, it, it's like a peace offering or, or not a peace offering, but like an offering to him that they're serious and that if they don't trade it. They'll use it as an excuse. The Cavs can't win if he leaves. I mean, they'll find a reason to point, blame it on someone else. I just think that. I think that pick is more valuable than people are giving it credit for, and I would be very concerned to trade it for a guy who might leave. Because once you trade that pick, you are truly all in on this year. All your eggs are in this basket, and if you don't win the title and then it blows up in the offseason, if both of those things happen, that is an epic disaster. Um, for sure. If you don't win the title and you get everyone back, fine. I mean, the window's still open. But and if you win the title and everyone leaves, nobody cares. But if both of those things happen, I mean, that it's it's an epic disaster. No, for sure. And the Cavs had the same situation with Kevin Love, right? I mean, they they traded for him on on the last year of his deal. Um, it, it worked out. I, I think that they can get they can get an unrestricted free agent in here, be it Cousins or or someone else, uh, and give him a taste of, of what it's like to play beside LeBron and also go to the NBA championship. And unless he's Kyrie Irving, I don't think he's going to pass it up. To quote Bill Maher, I can't prove it, but I know it's true. I am very confident that they had some sort of wink-wink with Kevin Love that, that, that he was going to sign. And Kevin Love said the whole year that he was going to come back. So I, I'm, I'm very confident that the Kevin Love was not a big risk. I don't know if DeMarcus Cousins is going to give you that same wink-wink. Yeah, but uh, 
that's still you're i mean you're just operating on a verbal agreement and, and oh, we burned him with a, Boozer. A terrible, yeah, Car- it, Carlos Boozer burned him. I, I'm not saying, but but I think it's less of a win- a risk if if you have that at least. No, for sure. I mean, it, it is, and, and I'm I don't I'm not I don't disagree that things could go south real quick. They could lose everybody but Kevin Love essentially if they make this trade. But uh, if LeBron goes, it's not just going to be like, oh, we got this eighth pick. We'll be back in the postseason in, in two seasons. They're going to blow up the whole team if LeBron leaves. This keeping the pick will will accelerate their rebuild hopefully, but it's going to be it's going to be some dark years in Cleveland should LeBron leave. They can't quickly rebuild with just a, a lower half of of the top 10 draft pick Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson. They they're going to blow everything up and it's going to be years before we see a postseason Cavs team. I slightly disagree because I still think you can get a really good guy, even if it's a five to ten range. I mean, yeah, we we rattle well, off some guys. It's not going to be LeBron size, and I, I they're not going to bring back IT. Bop, 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 bop. I never said that they were going to be an NBA ch- contender. I I don't think you can go from I I I disagree that they'll go from contender to you know dark years. I I think they could be a middling team. I don't think that's where you want to ultimately be. But if they hold on to Kevin Love and, and hit on that pick, they have a one-two punch. And then there's less pressure to hit on some of your other later picks. And you can find a guy later in the draft to supplement that. I, again, if LeBron leaves, yes, they're going to take a huge step back. I'm not debating that. I don't think they're going to go from 1 to 30, though, if they hold on to that pick. There's a chance that they could hit on that pick and stay relevant and maybe attractive free agent or swing another deal I, I don't know there were so many permutations that could happen but it all revolves on hitting on that pick and I do think they could find a significant wingman for Kevin Love with that pick if it's top 10 just because it's 8 9 or 10 you can still find a guy that can be an impact player look at Giannis look at Kawhi Leonard the list goes on I'm not going to rattle them all off the point is I think there's a middle ground. I don't think if they hold on to that pick, it's not just gonna. I don't think they can drop all the way to thirty. I think they could still stay relevant. I, uh, I disagree, <laughs> I, I, and I, I think the, I think m- maybe you could make the argument that yeah, in 2018 they could be a middling team that possibly is like an eighth or seventh seed, but I, I don't think you that's ideal for future state. I, I think the Cavs would blow everything up. I think. If LeBron walks, I think Love will be traded the same summer. Essentially, I think everybody would be gone. Uh, I, look, I, again, I would I would disagree with that approach. I would keep Kevin Love, but again, I don't know what they're going to do. I, hopefully, we don't find out. Hopefully, LeBron just stays because I, I think LeBron is going to stay. Yeah, I hope so too. I I believe so, uh, but I don't. I'm not 100 percent confident on it. So. Uh, Got to be ready for that, and this could be our last chance. So that's why I'm, my resolution, as I stated 15 minutes ago, <laughs> is trade the pick. Well, uh, let's move on to some football, and uh, we're not talking postseason football because obviously the Browns are 0-16. They they are not in, in the postseason. Uh, but, Chris, uh, just to, to round out our New Year's resolutions, what's the resolution you have for the Cleveland Browns? Pretty simple one. Stop paying big for mediocre quarterbacks. They need to go all in on finding one. I am in the camp against trading premium draft picks for Alex Smith. Now, if they get him for a third rounder or that low second rounder they have, that's basically a third, the Philadelphia second rounder, I'm fine by that because that Philadelphia second rounder is going to be like, it could be any, it could be as low as 63-64 if Philly wins the Super Bowl. Don't think that's going to happen though. But point being... Um, I, 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 I think that would be a reasonable price for Alex Smith. I don't want to see them trade pick 35 or, or whatever. You know, They have like th- four picks in the top 40. I don't want that to go for Alex Smith. Stop paying for overpaying for mediocrity. Either go all in and get Kirk Cousins, open the wallet, go all in and draft someone, but but stop messing around at the quarterback position. They, they, need, to, they need to find the man. Oh, I don't disagree with that. I don't think they would trade for Alex Smith. I think they would negotiate with him uh, should he be cut. I, I don't think they're going to entertain looking to trade for him. But, you know, the Dorsey-Smith connection seems to be strong. So uh, don't quote me on that. 
or if, well, I'm on record in this podcast, but uh, I just don't see them forfeiting draft picks for a stopgap in, in what Alex Smith would be. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the let me just add, like, the past few seasons, the Browns haven't really overpaid for a quarterback. They just haven't addressed it, right? No, the past few seasons they haven't overpaid. I'm talking historically they kind of have, sure. though. Talking like Jeff Garcia, Jake DeLome, guys like that. I don't, I don't want to see that again. I, I either want to see going big, getting Eli Manning or Phillip Rivers or bringing in Kirk Cousins. Do, do, get, a, get a guy who can play or draft your guy high. Yeah, I'm all for that. I agree with that. My resolution is like the Browns are, are sitting on probably $100 million in cap space, and they have about 13 draft picks. Uh, obviously, they're going to – bringing a lot of young guys but let's get some vets in here let's spend let's open up the vault and start spending look at what the jaguars have done over the past two seasons they've spent money in the offseason while drafting high drafting the right guys getting the talent that they need and now they're potentially uh they're one game away from going to the super bowl i think now is the time for the browns to open up the vault bring in some veteran guys and supplement that with uh their treasure trove of draft picks bob I, i'm very confident your new year's resolution is going to come true i think john dorsey is not going to mess around this offseason i love it i i think i mean they, they have such a young foundation if they can bring in some veteran cornerstones uh, i would be excited <laughs> for for 2018 maybe they'll win a game um uh, yeah uh let's since we're on the nfl let's uh stick with that and talk about some of those uh, playoff games that happened over the weekend. Chris, what was your favorite uh, matchup uh, in the postseason over the weekend? Man, that's a tough one. His three out of four of those games were awesome. Uh, one was uh, went about it exactly how we thought it would go, but uh, the other uh, three were fantastic to watch. Um, I, I did great picking the AFC side, uh, the NFC not so much. Uh for me, it's seeing Pittsburgh getting whooped on because I, I'm sick and tired of hearing about the Steelers from everyone. I'm sick and tired of hearing about the, the not-so-killer bees who lose their sting come postseason time. Uh, and, and, and I'm just going to toot my own horn here, man. Called it before the tournament began. Jacksonville went in there. Everyone said that the Jaguars couldn't do it again. Well, they did it again. I know it was only a three-point game, but, but they controlled that game in the trenches their running game was stellar their defense was able to get pressure on Ben without blitzing they showed that their team to be reckoned with and I'm going to say this right now Bob a lot of people are saying that the New England Patriots are are just it's set up for them do not sleep on the Jacksonville Jaguars they have the team that is capable of going in New England and stunning people. I would not be shocked to see Jacksonville in the Super Bowl. Um, I'm not abandoning New England, but I do not think that that is going to be a blot in any way, shape, or form. No, I, I don't think so either. Uh, I think that's going to be a low-scoring game, uh, regardless of, of who wins it. Um, I think I heard Steve Young say at first, uh, during the regular season, as the Jaguars looked like they were going to uh, clinch a playoff berth. He said that they remind him so much of those Denver Broncos that beat the New England Patriots, a stellar defense, just, uh, you know, maybe not the number one defense, but uh, playmakers all over uh, the roster on defense and and a power run game and a quarterback that is just good enough to, to, to get out of the way and let the run game and the defense win these games. I think, uh, the Jags are, are I think that you know, ever since I heard that I, I couldn't get it out of my head and now we're set up for the, this matchup of New England versus Jacksonville I, I don't think the Jags are going to get blown out I think they have the defense to uh, built just right to, to give Tom Brady some fits and if they can run the ball and score two or three times against the Patriots and that defense holds stout I mean it, it might come down to a field goal so yeah uh, I think that's going to be a really entertaining game uh, and, and probably a low-scoring affair uh, if I were to predict that. But, Chris, how can you not pick Stefan Diggs' 60-yard touchdown, walk-off touchdown to beat the New Orleans Saints? Uh, 
the, I mean, that's going to go down in history as one of the most miraculous plays in, in postseason football history. Uh, blew my mind. Uh, first off, the Saints coming back from 17 nothing uh, at the half to take the lead and look like they're going to go to the NFC Championship game. Uh, and then Stefan Diggs and uh, just the blown tackle uh, that, that set that up. Uh, tr- truly, truly an amazing ending to a postseason game. Yeah, that just became part of the PSA on how to tackle 101, what not to do. Uh, don't try to destroy the receiver with your shoulder. Just wrap him up. My goodness. Oh, I, I cringed when I saw that. I mean, it was an awesome play. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I was going nuts, but, but I cringed when I saw it. I'm like, what are you doing? How, how could the Saints let that happen? And Look, Diggs made a great play. Keenum made a great throw, but that was bad defense. Bottom line, I'm not taking anything away from Minnesota. Enjoy it. It was fantastic. But that play doesn't happen if they tackle properly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he, he tackled his 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 uh, fellow teammate <laughs> rather than Stefan Diggs. Uh, took a terrible angle to the ball. Really questionable uh, that um, – but yeah, we, I think we have the stunner some... was Philadelphia beating Atlanta. I that 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 the just Atlanta really, really, really had a letdown in Philadelphia, and and, and the the Eagles kind of showed that they were they're more than just a quarterback. They do have a good defensive unit. Their front uh, four really impressed me. But uh, tip of the cap to the Eagles for stepping up and when a lot of people wrote them off, I, I thought that was the second easiest game to pick, and clearly I was wrong. Yeah. I mean, Chris, we could have a Bortles versus Foles Super Bowl. Yeah, network executives are. Or I, I think network executives are starting to get very nervous now that Brees lost. Yeah, I mean, Matt Ryan, Cam Newton, Roethlisberger, Drew Brees out. Case Keenum, Blake Bortles, and Nick Foles are in. So uh, go figure <laughs> with, with that and, and this postseason. Who says the Browns need a quarterback? Well, they, I mean, they need one of those quarterbacks, obviously. Yeah, that's true. They, they, they don't even have one of those guys. But, yeah, yeah, if Jacksonville wins, man, that quarterback matchup is going to be one of those, huh? How do we get here? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, speaking of postseason football and uh, a former Jacksonville Jaguar coach, but uh, and now foreign, former Tennessee Titans head coach Mike Malarkey uh, mutually parting ways with the Titans today. Uh, already rumors that he is going to join Hugh Jackson as the Browns offensive coordinator. Uh, Chris, are, are you surprised uh, by the announcement? And then what are your thoughts as a potential malarkey as our OC? Stunned that the Titans and, and him parted ways uh, after, I mean, he's he's been the helm of a coach, uh, of a team that's on the up and up. Uh, why these guys couldn't figure something out. I don't know, I don't know what's going on there, but there's clearly something Something wasn't stirring the Kool-Aid. Uh, yeah, I'd love to see him as the offensive coordinator. I think he's done a good job in Tennessee. I know you're a little closer to the situation, Bob, and hear that the Titans fans aren't as happy with him. But but he won a playoff game, and, and he that team's on the up and up under him. So, so yeah, I, I, I mean, heck, anything's an improvement from 0-16. So I, I, would, I would certainly love to see him on the staff. And, Bob, Bob uh, who, who are you picking for the Super Bowl in addition to the answer to this? I've got the Patriots and the Vikings. Yeah, I definitely think the Vikings are are going to win the NFC. Uh, just to be different, I, I'll pick the Jags. I, I like that defense. I like. I think that they uh, could win a game uh, if it's like twenty four to twenty one or something. I I think they could do it. So Jags versus Vikings. I respect the boldness. I, and like I said, I, I'm not picking them, but I do not think that game in New England is going to be a blowout. I actually think that will be the better of the two games and. Jacksonville is going to surprise some people again, even if they lose, it's going to be a close game. Yeah, for sure. Uh, about Mike Malarkey. Yeah. Obviously I am surprised that, you know, a successful season, you know, two back-to-back nine and seven seasons resulted in him uh, getting fired, especially considering where the the Titans were uh, when they hired him. And in that first season, just winning two games, uh, it seems like, you know, you don't want to mess with success, but, uh, Chris, I'll, I'll tell you, living in Nashville, the, the common sentiment is that Mike Malarkey is is holding the Titans back. Uh, I don't know if that's just fans uh, with the grass is always greener, but uh, he was not well liked in, in the city. Uh, and maybe that bled over to the, the management in front office thinking that uh, if they get a better coach, uh, 
they, they might be able to see further successes. Uh, I, I will say, you know, Marcus Mariota is a hard quarterback to coach. You can't just run typical plays with him to, to get the, the most out of him. So, so that could possibly be it as well. They want a guy that could cater to, to Mariota's skill set a little bit more uh, or uh, do something differently because Mariota is now uh, you know, trying to fight that injury-prone label. So, so maybe they they uh, want a coaching change to to get more out of Marcus Mariota. Yeah, I I like Marcus Mariota. I I, I do worry that that he might you know fall into that injury prone label. The other guy I like on Tennessee, I think he's gonna have a breakout sophomore year is Corey Davis. Stepped up in the playoffs, but uh, that guy has a very bright future. Yeah, I like him too. He also uh, battled injuries though, so hopefully those are behind him. I think he's got some talent for sure. And then uh, lastly, Chris, we'll, we'll just wrap up. Uh, it was a week ago today, the national championship, Alabama uh, ripping the hearts out of my in-laws and myself as well, uh, winning in overtime against the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, did you have a chance to watch the game? What's your takeaway from it? I did not watch the second half because it was on way too late and I wanted to go to bed. I didn't care enough, and uh, my logic was Georgia's winning. I don't want to see Alabama come back if they do. I'm glad I didn't because uh, I I would not have enjoyed that either. I did not want Alabama to win. But, Bob, silver lining. I'm sure you've seen the stat now. Since 2012, LeBron and Nick Saban have a symbiotic relationship. Every time Alabama wins the national title, LeBron wins the NBA title, and every time Alabama lost their bowl game or in the playoffs, LeBron lost in the NBA finals. So, if that symbiotic bond continues, the Cavs are going to be 2018 NBA champions, and isn't that worth sacrificing the Georgia Bulldogs? I know you're a big fan, but maybe they've been sacrificed for the greater good. Yeah, I mean, it's worth it if that comes true. Um, I would just say, uh, you know, this probably a classic example of correlation does not equal causation uh totally equals causation Bob (laughs) and it's just probably uh more a fact that a testament to Alabama's and LeBron's greatness that they are just consistently in these championship games but uh I hope it's true I hope that the that that is a, a great silver lining my takeaway is that Georgia had Alabama beat obviously they shut them out in the first half uh they seem to completely have the, their number called game plan wise uh, but they did not account for Saban just yanking their starting quarterback of all season and putting in uh, the, that that uh, true freshman that offered a different skill set and they didn't they were not prepared for that uh, so that I think uh, did them in though uh, there are a number of plays that they could have saved their season and they didn't um, so disappointing but uh yeah i'll take your silver lining i also take the silver lining that uh you know most of georgia's players will be back next year so uh look like they're set for some some elevated success over the next couple years i I don't like alabama but i'm also not heartless i felt for that kicker missing that field goal at the end of regulation because man if they went on to lose that game i mean he's 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 a student he's a kid and you know that these crazy alabama fans were going to send all sorts of nasty messages his way yeah not the first time the alabama kicker has gotten hate mail so um or would have gotten hate mail but which certainly nothing we condone here and it's and it's certainly not the alabama's probably not the only school that does stuff like that totally wrong so i i I felt for him when he missed that kick so badly. You, you had, you had to think that the nerves played into that because, because it wasn't a very difficult kick. Yeah. All righty, we have packed a ton into this podcast. A lot of New Year's resolutions, some healthy debate. Uh, so we'll see what happens as everything plays out. Hopefully, we get a good Super Bowl matchup. A lot of stuff to watch. Some good football because the Browns aren't playing this weekend. And uh, hopefully the Cavs can get things turned around against a very tough schedule. But until next week, you can feel free to catch up on Clee Talk, presented by FriendlyRoadSports.com, by going to FriendlyRoadSports.com, listening to all our old episodes. We're also on iTunes. Just search Friendly Road Sports, click Clee Talk, and subscribe. It's that simple. You can also click the iTunes icon in the upper right-hand corner of FriendlyRoadSports.com. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram by searching Friendly Road Sports. We thank you for your